Hi, I'm Trevor Cochran and this is The Garden Gurus Live, a weekly show where I'll share seasonal gardening advice, feature a variety of gardeners from all across Australia and give listeners the opportunity to interact and ask your garden questions. To join the chat live and ask your gardening questions, all you need to do is like our Facebook page and tune in every Friday at 12pm Australian Eastern Standard Time. This program is brought to you by The Garden Gurus and Scott's Performance Naturals. Scott's Performance Naturals is the 100% natural and sustainable way to grow and feed your garden. Backed by years of research and developed by scientists, the technology employed enhances natural processes, allowing extra strong growth. The Performance Naturals range contains organic materials such as Nature-N, blood and bone, seaweed, biostimulants, manure and feather meal to improve the soil and encourage microbial and earthworm activity. To find out more about the Scott's Performance Naturals range, head to lovethegarden.com.au. Hello, welcome to the show. It's Garden Gurus Live and uh, it's a beautiful Friday morning. I hope you are well. And we are really looking forward to sharing some fantastic stories with you today. I'm hoping I can answer lots and lots of questions for you. I've got some special guests joining us. It's a really unique opportunity for you to talk to us about the things that you love and uh, things that you want answered. So uh, we've got Victoria again. We've got another unknown, but maybe it's Victoria from Victoria. You never know because this is a problem that we all experience, Victoria. And that's the best way to get rid of the white butterflies, which are prolific in everybody's garden right around uh, right around the country at the moment. That's the white cabbage moth. And, of course, it lays eggs. The larvae hatch and they turn into little caterpillars and they eat holes in all of your favourite veggies. Now, the most simplest way to get rid of these is actually, actually to use those, white, uh, those yellow sticky traps. And these days you can only buy them now. They don't sell them just as the straight paper. You can only buy them um, in the little cages. So it protects other animals like um, lizards and, and small birds, etc. So it will catch those white butterflies and it'll take a whole bunch of other insects that uh, cause problems like fruit fly, which is a big issue in my garden. I've got these yellow traps all over the place and they are smothered. They're almost black in some cases, smothered with fruit fly. And uh, that's because the weather's warmed up and fruit fly becomes very, very active, both Mediterranean and also uh, the Queensland fruit fly. They will fly straight to those yellow traps and stick to them straight away. Same thing with the white cabbage moth, that white butterfly you're talking about, Victoria. I hope that helps. Uh, Laurel in Bundaberg in Queensland, can you please advise what type of custard apple tree would be best planted in Bundaberg? Uh, and do we fertilise the new tree when we plant it? They Do they need lots of water? And sorry to ask so many questions. Don't be sorry, Laurel. That's a, they're great questions. And I think you're uh, probably our first up winner, I reckon, of a packet of seeds coming your way. Custard apples are really interesting. So they don't require uh, a huge amount of um, uh, water. They're, they're pretty, once they're established, they're pretty hardy. And once they're established, they don't require a huge amount of fertiliser. But in the early stages, you want them to grow fast and produce lots of growth and fertiliser and water is the key to that. Once the tree's got to about two and a half, three metres in height, back off the watering because that will stimulate more flowering. And this is a plant that's not pollinated. The flowers are not pollinated by bees or flies. They're pollinated by ants. 
So you want ants to be moving up and down the stem of those trees. So if you want to cheat it, a little bit of honey, something sweet around the base of them, will bring them to the tree and that will assist with the pollination. When it comes to varieties, um, I would suggest to you that Pink's Mammoth or African Pride would be ideal. And if you do not have a lot of custard apple trees growing around the neighbourhood, if you know if somebody's got a big one nearby, don't worry about putting two trees in. But if you do have, or if you don't have that around, maybe getting one of each of those trees is a good idea. Pink's Mammoth is a huge custard apple. It's an absolute ripper. And uh, African Pride is a prolific producer and very high quality fruit. So I hope that helps. Now, I'm really excited because a bit later on, uh, we are catching up with Rowan Peterson. And Rowan is uh, the man behind the man at Garden Express, always there backing up um, the great work that uh, David and the rest of the team there do. And we're going to talk about strawberries. And I'm really excited about uh, what we'll talk about. But Michael, we're not sure where Michael's come from, has asked, he said he's trying to grow strawberries, getting them to flower and grow is the easy part. But each morning the strawberries are eaten. And this is a bit of a challenge. Now, he's tried chives and straw, but they still get eaten. He prefer not to use sprays as he's growing them for his granddaughter. And strawberries are one of um, one of those highly absorbent fruits that use any kind of chemical around them. They'll absorb it into the fruit. And you don't want to be ingesting that. So I understand where you're coming from. Um, it, it's highly likely the things that are eating your strawberries are slugs, snails, or slaters, or woodlice, as they're sometimes known. And one of the easiest way to get control of the first two, which are mollusks, is either to use a copper spray around the outside. So you're not spraying the plant, you're just spraying the ground. And if they come across, mollusks have no tolerance for copper and that'll that'll take them out. Uh, when it comes to slaters, they're actually a crustacean. So they're related to, to crabs and crayfish and prawns, not to insects as such. And the way you control them is totally different. What you do is you get yourself, go and squeeze some oranges in the late afternoon so you cut the orange in half, you squeeze the halves over, you get the juice, you keep the halves, you take them out and you pop them all around the outside of your strawberry plants and you do it just on dusk. And then about an hour later, come back out with a plastic bag and pick all the halves up. And what you'll find is all the the sweetness of the orange and the, and the juice and the flesh will attract the slaters in. They'll come in their masses and the, the flesh side of that fruit will be just laden with those little insects. So you can pick them all up, put them in a plastic bag and take them and get rid of them. Um, I know with slaters that uh, with a little bit of garlic butter, phew, they are just fantastic. Quick in the wok, no problems at all. No, no, I'm joking about that. Please don't do that. Um, we will talk about strawberries a bit more, a bit further on. And you are going to be um, blown away by this this new strawberry or this strawberry that's being featured in the Garden Express catalogue that's coming up. Um, I had a great comment just come through from Margie. Uh, her, her strawberries are being eaten as well. Her problem is it's by a dog and you can understand it. I've actually got the same problem in my garden, not with a dog, but I've got uh, blue tongue lizards, bobtail goannas as we call them, and uh, they love a good strawberry. So sharing strawberries is something we all have to do to some extent. Now, Marisha in Perth. Hello, Marisha. Nice to see you. She sent through a photograph and that photograph is going up on the screen now so you can have a quick look. And she's got an interesting thing. We were just talking about um, potential damage from, uh, from herbicides. And this is a, a fig 
that she sent a photo in and you can see it's got some yellow uh, coming through. The leaves are not a normal leaf shape as well. They're not happy. This looks to me like it's it's been exposed to a little bit of glyphosate and uh, spraying around the base of a tree can also cause that problem if you're spraying weeds off. I, I don't know if that's what it is or whether it's got a virus and that could be the other problem that's going on here. The leaves do not look healthy. You are quite right. But with a tree like a fig, it will grow out of the glyphosate damage. So it should recover, I would think. And you should see a, a big improvement as the tree goes along. My advice would be to feed it, to give it a good all-round. And I'd use a citrus fertiliser, citrus and fruit fertiliser. And um, I'd give it a boost and a little bit of water and, and encourage it to grow out of that damage. Uh, but please, folks, be careful if you're using herbicides never spray them near your plants those total kill herbicides if it lands on the foliage of your favorite plant it will kill it or it'll certainly set it back severely and the other bit of advice is most of us don't ever do that on purpose we don't intend to do it but if there's a bit of breeze blowing around you do not want the drift blowing off and landing on any of your plants because it will have the same effect so don't spray herbicides at all whether it be weed and feed or anything else, do not spray them if there's wind around. Wait to a nice still morning and don't spray on a very hot day or a day where it's going to rain. Those are the rules and that should help you, Marisha. Now, we've got one more uh, question that's come in. It's Erica. I'm not sure where you're from, Erica. She's got a four-year-old apricot tree. Seems to be really struggling this year. Uh, the tree's never fruited. You can see it there. It does not look happy. If that is a recent photo, uh, there's a significant problem with that tree. And uh, I, I cannot tell you from the photo what would have caused it to set back. But if that is the tree yesterday or today, um, there is something very seriously wrong with that tree. I can see uh, in the photograph that I'm looking at a few little uh, signs of growth. And what I can see is a lot of wood. If there is not growth coming from the other parts of the wood, so the, the branch that's that's going up through the middle, if there is, if you scratch the bark and it's not green, that will be dead wood, and that wood needs to be removed. If you can get all the dead wood gone, uh, those few little bits of growth that are just showing should emerge and the plant should be able to sort of grow out of it. What I suspect has happened here is there is some kind of serious root damage, but it's very hard to tell from this photograph. So the tree is definitely in trouble, Erica. It's a bit hard to uh, ascertain exactly what it is, but look, you know, um, giving it, probably giving it sea salt to be quite honest. A seaweed extract at the moment would do it the world of good. Now, I told you I was excited. Um, Garden Express uh, have just launched their Garden Living e-catalogue. It's online, and I don't know whether you've ever been to their website, but you go on online and they've got these flip catalogues. So it's just like sitting there with a paper catalogue. You can just flip through the various pages. And um, this morning, I think David Van Berkel is out in the paddock planting new plants for harvesting and supply of people sometime in the near future. So I've been lucky enough to be able to get Rowan Peterson, who Rowan does a lot of the hard work. We get to work with him a lot. He knows his stuff. Rowan, good morning to you. Good morning, Trevor. How are you? 
Yeah, good. Thanks for joining us this morning. I wanted to ask you, it's a big deal for me. I love catalogues. I've always loved garden catalogues. And in fact, I've got a bit of a bad habit of collecting the old paper ones from, you know, I've got some that could go back into sort of the 30s and 40s that I found at swap meets and, oh, bookstores. They're great. But the thing about getting a catalogue is there's so many interesting things and you can kind of buy bits and pieces, bundle them all up and get them sent off to you. And they turn up on your doorstep. This is what you guys do, right? You you do it, but you 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 also do an e catalog, so anybody can. Yeah, so, in. so so this year, this year's been one of those years, as everyone knows, you know, for everybody. So um, one of our biggest problems this year has been having enough stock, um, as we've spoken about several times. Um, so what we've done is we've. Um, been able to release a several e-catalogues rather than the the, the standard printed catalogue that we, we release um, five times a year, yeah. uh, which allowed us to just advertise stuff that we had available rather than trying to forward think. You know, often it's up to 10 weeks in advance to, to create one of those printed catalogues, which we just haven't been able to do this year. Yeah. Um, Unfortunately, there's been a lot of people that are disappointed in not getting their catalogs. So we have released a couple this year, but um, hopefully we'll get a, a few more of the traditional printed catalogs out next year. Look, they're, they're fantastic, but there's no doubt, you know, we live in modern times. There's no doubt being able to sit down, you know, our, our viewers this morning will be sitting looking at what we're doing and they'll they'll be tuning in, obviously, from their iPads or their computers. This is James, by the way. We never get to sort of show James. There he is. There he goes. And he's uh, he's the guy that uh, helps drive everything along with Lockie, who's producing it. Um, we had a little technical issue, so he's just just helping me out with my uh, my computer. He's got all embarrassed now and, and dashed off. Can you believe these guys work in television? Um, so, Rowan, the, the thing with these catalogues is with uh, with being able to flip through this, this flip through process that you have, and we've got some up on the screen now just to show. Uh, what you're going to see, yeah, they're really they're really fabulous. It's so convenient, right? Well, it, it's exactly the same as what we would do as a printed catalog. So you're seeing exactly the same thing, and the benefits, obviously, uh, other than being able to flick through it with you, with you know, in front of you, you can actually click on each item within the catalog and go straight to that that item on the website and purchase it if you, purchase it if you want to. Uh, yeah. So, so you know, there's there's definitely pros and cons both ways, but it's it. I agree. It's nice to actually receive a printed catalogue in the mail. Oh, look, I, I used to love the tactile nature of it, but to be quite honest, I love the convenience of the e-catalogues. And um, your e-catalogue, uh, I know you're going to want to talk about Snapdragons, but I just want to talk about the cover. Let's see if the guys can put up, um, put the cover up for us on the screen so everybody can see it. This is the first thing that you'll see when, when you go to it. Um, spectacular flower and I'm looking at that flower and I'm going I cannot work out what that is and then you told me yeah that's a uh, that's a strawberry uh, so that's a nice close-up of a really beautiful strawberry uh, strawberry flower um, that one's summer breeze uh, summer breeze rose sorry um, but it's th these these are some of my favorite strawberries Norm normally as you know Trevor we we sell these as bare root runners um, probably in the winter time um, yeah. but you know, from time to time, we get uh, we get these uh, <clears throat> these beautiful potted strawberries as well. And and as you can see there with the pink one, um, that that is so beautiful in a hanging basket. You get oh. your strawberries hanging down, and the and the beautiful flowers at the top. And it's uh, we've got three lovely varieties. It's they're, they're, they're absolutely stunning. 
that that's they are just amazing and and uh, you can see the second page there so people can actually click on that that's your edible page in this catalog and, and you've got a couple of strawberry options there plus also passion fruit which now is the time to be planting passion fruit in the garden yeah absolutely um those, those three passion fruits there are non-grafted passion fruits i don't know if yep. you guys have had the the conversations within the live about the the pros and cons of non-grafted versus grafted um we, we sell okay. both normally yeah, yeah. Um, it's worth having that and explain to people why. So if, if you live in Perth, if you live in Sydney, particularly in the northern beaches uh, where the sandy soils are, or northern New South Wales and Queensland, um, the reality is you probably don't need to get the grafted varieties. Now, they're grafted onto a rootstock variety called Passiflora uh, carula, which is a blue-flowering passion fruit. That passion fruit um, originates from very high up in the Andes in cool conditions. So it's a cool climate passion fruit. So the reason they graft onto that with with the popular varieties, the black passion fruit or purple or, or golden passion fruit varieties, is so that the plant continues to grow well in cold conditions. So if you're in a place where it gets really cold, grafting, uh, getting a grafted passion fruit makes an awful lot of sense. If you're in sandy soil, there is also a risk with that corolla that it'll go wild and start sending up suckers and uh, you'll lose the good passion fruit and you'll end up with one that produces a lot of blue flowers but very small, insignificant, tasteless fruit. And that's a, one of the biggest complaints we get from people, particularly in New South Wales, uh, Queensland and, and over here in the West, it happens a fair bit. So cooler climates, grafted warmer climates, seedlings, and you've got some great varieties there. But just just sticking to our, our subject matter, talk me through the snapdragons in this catalogue. So so snapdragons are new to Garden Express. It's something that we um, we we do we do have from time to time, but you know this this time we've got five varieties of snapdragons. Um, snapdra- snapdragons are um, a, a beautiful uh, a flower. They're probably suited to cottage gardens and that style of uh, that style of, uh, of garden but we've got a beautiful pink one um, yeah. these are the the, the potiac or potty Mac sorry um, series of, of snapdragons um, okay. there's a pink one a red one a white one uh, a, a crimson one and a beautiful orange one um, right. a lot of people would know the annual um, snapdragons that's uh, there's something that's out there and uh, been out there and very popular for many years, but these are perennial, right? Yeah, that's correct. And 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 in cooler in the cooler climates, these will will um, actually seed, um, and you should get flowers continuously, you know, throughout the years. Um, yeah, they're really beautiful, and and probably one of those flowers that's been forgotten a little bit, you know. Um, it's a bit of an old fashioned one, but certainly yeah. um, that you should never discount use them. I've actually got some in my garden; they're annual forms. Yeah. And uh, we'll plant them year in, year out. They are just fantastic, absolutely beautiful. One of the big things uh, about these varieties that you've got is that they have a great resistance to rust and diseases. And that, that's vitally important. So when you're growing the annuals, you tend to have a good crop one year. The next year, if you're planted in the same spot, you have an ordinary crop. And it's because you get a buildup of these diseases that affect them quite badly in the soil. And it'll take a few years to get that out. So... If you're growing the annual snapdragons, rotate them. But these perennial forms have resistance and, and uh, tolerance and will not uh, not be affected badly. So they're a great way to go. And, of course, they're going to last year in, year out. 
and best of all, they've uh, they, they've got a thirty percent saving on them at the moment. So normally they would sell for nine dollars ninety each in a seventy five mil pot. Yeah, uh, and they're down to six dollars ninety. So you're actually saving three dollars. That's a great deal, mate. Now, tell, just tell me, just uh, just remind us all. People jump online. They're going to go through this catalogue. They're going to order some Snapdragons. They're probably going to get some of those beautiful strawberries that we've just talked about as well. I've, got, um, I've actually got some of those here too. Like they're oh, looking yeah. really amazing. Uh, that's, that's what you order online, right? Yeah, that's exactly what you'll get when we when we send it out to you. Okay, so you bundle them up, and then you deliver them direct to people's doorstep. Directly to people's doorstep. So we've got them out in the nursery. Um, place your order. Uh, the girls will pack it, pick it, and pack it, and it'll be it'll go out via Australia Post and arrive directly at your doorstep. It's uh, it's really good, and obviously this year, as people shop online more and more and more, um, it becomes the sort of the way of the future. And we've been doing plants for twenty odd years this way, um, and we've we've got it down pat. Yeah, you guys, you guys are pretty slick, mate, and we. We hear nothing but really positive things, particularly this year. This is the year that a lot of people don't want to necessarily be going out into public places all the time. Great way to order all your garden stuff online, have it delivered, delivered direct to your door. And to do that, all people have to do is go to gardenexpress.com.au. That's it. It's that easy. Go to gardenexpress.com.au, um, follow the links. Uh, there's banners. There's You pretty much find whatever you want. There's a great search tool, um, and we'll bundle it up and send it straight out to you. Well done, Ryan. Great work, mate. And I'm going to let David know he can stay on the track. Do you? He doesn't need to rush into the office. He, 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 won't, he won't argue, Trevor. He, he loves it out there. <laughs> he does. He does. I know him too well. Hey, thanks for joining us, mate. Have a great weekend. Okay, and uh, I'm going to fly through a few more questions, I think. Visit the Garden Guru's online store and browse through a collection of high-quality, German-made Wolfgarten tools. You'll also find a range of books with information to help create and maintain a beautiful garden. You can also access the online store on the Garden Gurus Facebook page. Use the code GURUS for free shipping on orders over $30. Offer ends 31st of October. So let's have a bit of a look. Take care. Uh, Di, how are you going? Can you recommend a good tree to plant in a pot? Well, it depends on where you are. And uh, this is this is a really interesting um really interesting point this is why letting us know where you are is really important so uh you're going to be looking for a small growing tree if you're in a cooler climate something like a sapium sabiferum the chinese tello tree would be sensational a beautiful tree if you're in a warmer climate uh you might want to think about a frangipani they do really well in pots love that environment if you are looking for fruit citrus make the most amazing things and you can get these incredible dwarf citrus in fact i got all mine from garden express and uh, you can get dwarf uh, oranges lemons mandarins limes and these trees only get to two or three meters so um all of these things will will perform differently in different environments if you're in a colder environment if you're in tassie for example might be a bit harder with a frangipani but it won't be difficult with the Chinese tallow tree, the sapium sabiferum I mentioned. So try that one. Um, I hope that helps. And please let us know where you are. Marshall has done that. Marsh is in Perth. Thanks for joining us, Marsh. I've got a small patch of onion weed in my garden. You've tried poison, didn't work. Tried digging it out, but it's a slow process and it will come back in patches. And if you keep digging, will you get there eventually? Probably not. You're really, really propagating them. Um, 
just to explain how that kind of all works, mate, there's basically um, a little onion at the a little bulb at the bottom of the of the onion uh, weed that you're seeing, and um, when you pull that out, it's got little bulblets around the base of it. They're, they're tiny. They all break off, and they're next season's bulbs coming up. And you, if you break off a whole heap of them, you'll end up with a, a big cluster of them coming up. So that's kind of what it sounds like it's been happening for you. The best solution for onion weed, believe it or not, is just mulching really heavy. Put some layers of paper down on the ground over the areas where it's a problem. Put a big, thick layer of mulch over the top. You'll smother out about 90% of them. And then when you start to see a few more emerge, do it again. Not only are you enriching your soil, but you will get rid of those weeds and all the other weed seeds that are sitting in the soil. So there's no weeding in the garden. That's the easiest thing. And I'm not a big fan of poisoning at the best of times. Um, but generally, onion. What, why onion weed is not easy to poison is because it has like an oily substance on the outside of the the, the blades of the of the uh, of the plant of the of the the leaves that you see, and um, it effectively can't stick to it, and therefore it can't attach, and therefore it can't be active. Uh, you can so so there are things you can put a little bit of. Um, white oil into the spray bottle, mix it up, agitate it a lot, then spray it over and the white oil will assist in, in adhesing uh, the, the chemical to the, to the leaf and gives you a better chance of getting in control. But my preference is to smother it out. I hope that helps, Marsh. Really appreciate you watching. Um, Cherie in Bunyip in Victoria. Hi, Cherie, you're back. It's great to see you. Um, is it best to water tomatoes and veggies and lawns in the evenings or the morning? Well, the truth of the matter is that plants don't take the moisture up generally at night. So they're not, um, they're not uh, photosynthesizing, they're actually respiring. So they tend to be putting moisture into the atmosphere. Um, what you're best to do is to water early in the morning. So before it gets light, just before it gets light, water, the water will be in the ground. As the sun comes out, the plant starts metabolizing. And as it metabolizes, it pulls that moisture up that's available in around the roots. And what you will tend to find is on a really stinking day, you might find that even on the day that you've watered in the morning, the plants look a bit a bit exhausted. They're, they're wilting. That the hose and you just give them a little bit of a water and that'll do the job. So hope that helps, Cherie. It should be, um, should be a morning is the best time to water. Elsie is in Melbourne. It's 34 degrees today. Woohoo! Summer's hit, hasn't it? We had a 36 the other day. And uh, yeah, I've seen a big change in the plants in my garden. What's the best way to cover your veggie garden in a way that kind of looks nice? Well, the, a lot of people are using shade cloth and they're setting up temporary covers to try and protect the plants. Um, what I would say to you is that uh, you can do that, but you can also get these cool little tunnels and actually you'll see them in that Garden Express catalog. They sell them and they're a little pop-up tunnel and you can actually run them over the top of those plants that are a bit sensitive, particularly seedlings that are establishing during the hot weather. There's about three or four different types. Check it out online. They're, they're a good way to protect your plants from the sun. You do need to remember that, of course, if they're a, if they're a capsicum or a a vinca or a petunia, they love it hot. In fact, um, when you get those really hot days, they will actually take off. Um, the others will will possibly suffer a little bit. So if you've got some cool climate varieties in there, 
they might need protection, but the rest should grow pretty well. Now, one of the most popular segments we do each week is when we hook up with the guys from Love the Garden. Now, one of the, the favourite stories from Love the Garden was done with Karen Goldie, where she shared her tips on growing tomatoes. And uh, not only that, she gave a fantastic pizza recipe. It was absolutely brilliant. And uh, we've, we've managed to talk her into coming back on today, and she's got a very, very cool project. Good morning, Karen. Good morning, Trevor. Good morning. How are you? Good. Lovely to see you. What on earth is going on here? Christmas has arrived. Oh, it has. Thank you for inviting me back, and hello to all the viewers out there. Uh, especially those in South Australia with me at the moment, and it's 40 degrees here today. So, wow. it, uh, yeah, quite a quite a warm one today and tomorrow. But um, so I thought we would bring some of the garden inside today, seeing as it's so hot outside. And, you know, what a year we've had. I thought maybe we would just uh, start some Christmas cheer, some ideas to get your table uh, ready for Christmas time and also some gift-giving ideas as well that can be made at home with materials around the home at very little expense. Can I ask you a question? Because I'm looking at you in that spectacular setting, which is in your house, right? And is yes. that a Christmas tree made of succulents you've got on the left-hand side there? It certainly is, yes. And the best part about this is that all of these succulents were propagated at home. So um, during the year, particularly over the winter period, I yeah. have uh, propagated these succulents in readiness to make my Christmas tree. So in order to do that, during the year, you know how you get these leggy succulents? Yeah. The best way that I find to propagate them is I just get a 1.25 litre uh, soft drink bottle. Yeah. Pop some holes in it just with very carefully with some scissors yeah and then the leaves that are looking quite leggy here yeah. just pick them off and then you just pop them in each one into the hole and then i fill up with some osmocote pour and feed yeah. fill in about an inch or so an inch and a half on the bottom and then leave those petals to sit for a few weeks and then what you get is this is what happens. All of those gorgeous little petals, or I should say leaves, I call them little petals, little petals to me, but I know that technically, technically they're leaves. They, they form new little succulents, which then once the leaf uh, has died, the succulents all fall off and they're in there I've got about 40, 40 to 50 little succulents in there ready to go. So yeah, then once you get that, yep. That's brilliant. That's absolutely yep. brilliant. So then we just, when we've got that, we just cut the bottom open and all yep. of our little succulents fall out. And then if I want to get the root structure a little bit stronger on them, which I wanted to get for this, I just go to my greengrocer, keep my polystyrene or cardboard wax tub, yep. pop in some Osmocote potting mix. Mm-hmm. I'm using the cacti and succulent specific potting mix for this task. Again, um, the team have done all the all the science and the research, so I don't have to muck around. Yeah. And then what you do is you just pop those little petals 
once you've got the little roots that are formed, just pop them on there, leave those for another few weeks, and then they'll grow a nice nice root system on them, ready to use for your for your projects. What so what I've done tip. is I've left the back of this open so you can see what it looks like inside. Okay. And what I've done is made a little cage out of chicken chicken wire, yeah. rabbit mesh, whatever you've got laying, if you've got some laying around, otherwise you can buy a roll of it quite cheaply. Yeah. Put a little bamboo stake up the centre. You then line it with some sphagnum moss, pop in some of the potting mix as well. So yeah. you've got your, your little base there. I've put some floristry foam in the bottom of a, an old pot yeah. and then you pop that in through the centre and if you imagine that's already filled with your sphagnum moss and your potting mix, then you're ready to go and you just use floristry pins or what you can cut pieces of wire. I actually yeah. found floristry pins a little bit easier to use for this exercise and then you just grab your little succulents that have already got some roots forming and you just pin them in. And if you don't have a lot of succulents, you can fill in all of the gaps with some decorations as well. Just means you, you don't have to use any succulents. You have come up with the idea of the year. That is a, ah. br a brilliant way to bring Christmas cheer home and indoors. Well done. That's great. Yeah. It'll make a really beautiful centrepiece. And and I will keep that fertilised as well by using the Osmocote pour and feed as well. So um, I wanted to get that made now. Um, it will, it will, it will, it should last a long time. And obviously, as these start to get leggy, then you can pull them out. You can do the same thing again. Just keep reusing the petals, keep propagating them, and then you can use them for other other little ideas around the home as well. How brilliant is that? That is fantastic. I just want to talk about, um, so so you've gone through this whole process, you've propagated, you've got the little plants growing. The pour and feed is a very interesting thing. So a lot of uh, the problems that people have with uh, fertilisers, with liquid fertilisers in particular, is getting the measurement wrong, making it too concentrated or not enough and yeah. burning the plant or, or the plant not really doing anything. And that's where this pour and feed has revolutionised the way we think about liquid fertilisers and people are just flocking to it. But it's now just been recognised as well, hasn't it? It certainly has. We're really excited. It's just actually uh, been awarded the product of the year so um, in the garden category. So the Consumer Survey of Product Innovation, um, yep. it's actually won in the garden category this year. So that is really exciting for us. Uh, the the judges uh, survey consumers. So this is actually, you know, being being recognised by the end user, by the consumer, and what they're looking for is products that are innovative. And this is certainly an innovative product. Uh, the uh, likability of it, the uniqueness of it, the relevance of it to the category. Uh, and, and just how the excitement that it creates in the category, but also for the end user, even myself as, a, as an end user, uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's really remarkable and, and, yeah, we're really excited about it. And, and I have to say, I, I mean, even as a user of the product, uh, it is a very exciting product to have and it's so easy to use. It's already 
mixed up in here so I don't have to muck around with it. It's, it's already been pre-mixed. It's very easy to use. It's just got a cap, very easy to pour function. So we just pour it straight in and then yeah. you just pour it straight on, you know, straight into, into your plants. It's, it's so easy to use and it's a, it's a nice clear sort of liquid as well so it doesn't leave any staining. Uh, I've, I've used products before in, in water spray bottles and things and you spray and you might accidentally get some on the wall. Uh, yep. So there's no there's no staining, there's no odour. It's just so easy to use and wow. just makes the, this this so much more fun when you've got really easy products to be able to use. And there's some special formulations, right? So we're talking about cactus and yeah. succulents for Christmas yeah. tree, but you've got a formulation for cactus and succulents, but you've also got one for, let's say, indoor plants, right? We do. So uh, indoor plants, which is fantastic. My fiddle leaf fig loves me for this. Um, yeah. Peace lilies, you know, there's temp peace lilies can be temperamental at times. Uh, this is just, this is perfect. And we also have one specific uh, formulation for orchids as well. And, and not only are they great just to have for these sorts of projects, but, you know, for the plant-loving person, this would make a really lovely Christmas gift for someone as well who loves their who loves their garden. Um, you know, it's 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 just yeah, it's a really innovative, fantastic product. Well, having seen what you've done today, I'm going home grabbing one of those plastic cool drink containers, drilling some holes yep. inside. I'm going to take all the leaves off a few of my um, succulents that I love. I'm going to do yep. exactly that. That is a brilliant idea. Congratulations! And I have a comment from Helen. Love, love, love the Christmas tree succulent idea. Fun to do and rewarding in the end. You are right, Helen. This is brilliant. Well done, Karen. Thank you so much. Oh, that's okay. Now, to give you an idea, this size tree will probably use about 200 succulents. And yeah. I've got a preference there towards the succulents that are of a rosette sort of style. So um, your echeverias, for instance. So anything that's a little rosette, nice and compact, very easy to propagate, and yeah, it just—I uh, think it'll make a really lovely statement on the on the table. Karen, that is just brilliant. Thank you so much. That's um, <laughs> that's right. wonderful catching up with you again, and uh, such such a great idea, and obviously such a great product also with pour and feed as far as making it convenient to get the best results out of your plants. We really appreciate you joining us. Oh, you're more than welcome. I've got some other little ideas here. I'll take a few photos and pop them on the comments for people to have a look at. Well, yeah, please do that. If you could take a few close-ups, I think people yeah. will love that and we'll certainly make sure we put that onto our Facebook. Well done. Thanks so much. Have a great weekend. You too. Great to see you again, Trevor. Thanks. Garden Express are Australia's leading mail-order gardening service, offering a wide range of quality garden products. Each week on the Garden Gurus Live, the team at Garden Express will share a weekly offer. So make sure after today's show, you jump online and visit their website. What a great idea. And uh, that innovation is the sort of thing that, and thinking is the sort of thing that makes the whole uh, Love the Garden team leaders in, in the field because they're actually doing it. You can see Karen's passion there is, is very genuine and real. She's doing this herself at home. And when she's at work, she's helping you to succeed as well. I, I just think that's brilliant. Now, I, I just wanted to go to my plant of the week. So 
We've had a few people raise our, um, our situation with regards to uh, the Garden Guru Show and our herb features. We talk about Swan Valley Nursery. Swan Valley Nursery is a grower, so they're, they're producing plants and they supply them to retailers. And they don't supply them all over the country, uh, but you will find Renaissance herbs all over the country and uh, they, they actually grow Renaissance herbs as well. So by showing you some of these things, we're able to, um, we're able to, I suppose, inspire you. And one of the collections that Swan Valley uh, has introduced that I just love is one called Tasting Asia. Now, there's a few really interesting plants in, in them, and I've got three of them to show you. If you've been to Asia, if you've been to China, or you've been to Hong Kong, Singapore, uh, even Thailand, you'll have tried this. You can see that we've got the gourd, and it's absolutely brilliant. And then you will have seen these big, long beans at the markets. They're called snake beans. And again, absolutely brilliant plants, but you need to be growing them in the warm weather. They don't like the cold weather. So now's the time to be planting them. So this range, this Tasting Asia range, is something that you want to keep your eye out for in your local garden centre. So that was two of the three. And this one here, look, it's a small plant, but I wanted to show you this because if you love coriander, but you can't grow it during the summer months, that's because coriander is a cold-loving plant. It likes growing in cooler conditions. As soon as it gets warm, it bolts, goes to flower, goes to seed, and then it's finished. Well, not with this one. This is called the sawtooth coriander or perennial coriander, and it's part of the same range. And you can see it there. That's what the label looks like. That is the plant. And when you crush these leaves, it is a beautiful coriander flavour and smell. The, the aroma is gorgeous. Yeah, I'm going to pass this around. Tell me what you think. Have a smell, Lockie. How good is that? Just love. If you if you love coriander, if you don't love coriander, that's good. That's good, isn't like it? That. So yeah. So that is a plant you want to keep your eye out for. It's known as sawtooth coriander. It's a perennial, so it lasts forever. And it's totally different to the coriander plant that you will know, the slow bolt coriander that is also in their range. The boys have now had a bit of a smell. What do you think, Jimmy? Yeah, I'm eating some of it. <laughs> <laughs> He's eating some. Can you believe it? So there you go. That's my plants of the week. It's the Tasting Asia collection that you'll find from Swan Valley Nursery. Uh, and you will find it as part of the ranges of the same group of nurseries who grow these plants all over the country. If you're wondering where you'll get them, you'll find them in leading retailers, so independent garden centres and the Big Bunnings Warehouse stores in their garden centres pretty much in every state. I think except for possibly Victoria, you'll find this range um, you know, available through their stores. I think in Victoria you may need to go to your local independent garden centre. Well, we're rolling along very well and we've got a whole bunch of questions coming through. So... Let's uh, keep moving. We've just talked about snake beans. Jill from Bunbury, I've planted some snake beans, but something keeps eating them. Is it worth planting with some spring onions? Um, look, it possibly is. It might just be worthwhile creating a little bit of a barrier around those plants because once they get going, they take off and nothing's going to eat them, unless you're talking about something like a caterpillar, and um, that's where you're going to need to use uh, something like dipels or some kind of natural uh, caterpillar control or repellent. 
Um, and a repellent for caterpillars, by the way, that you could try is pepper. In fact, fine white pepper. I don't like it for some strange reason. And uh, it tends to have them sort of head off in different directions. So a little bit of dusting of pepper can be really good, but you might end up walking around the garden sneezing a fair bit afterwards. Lynn is in Vella Beach in New South Wales. She's moved her lily pilly. Now it looks dead. It's in a full sun position. Lynn, the first thing you want to do is cut it back pretty hard. Lily pillies don't transplant super well. Uh, they don't like root damage for whatever reason. And uh, the first thing they'll do when you transplant them is they'll drop all their leaves. Doesn't mean they're dead, but you need to cut the plant back till you see green wood. If you don't see green wood, you're not going to have a plant because the plant has died. So just keep cutting back till you see green wood and try and remove all the dead wood off the plant. That will stimulate new growth. And giving it a good soak, again, with something that assists with transplant shock, like sea salt, is a good way to go. Elsie is in Melbourne. Is it true that eggshells stop bugs from eating your fruit and veg garden? Not so much your fruit, but certainly vegetables. So the eggshells, the more you crush them up, the, um, the sharp nature of them will stop slugs and snails and some other soft-bodied insects like, uh, say, caterpillars from crossing a barrier if you put it around the outside. So it will make them uncomfortable. You're going to need a lot of eggshells, um, but it, it does help a little bit. It's a nice natural way uh, to avoid having to use chemicals. Becky's in North Queensland. She's got mandarins that are splitting. They're still very small. What would cause this to happen? Interesting thing about citrus uh, fruit in particular is that when the plant has flowered and the fruit has set, at that moment in time, the plant has determined how big that fruit is going to get. And what often happens is that we can get more rainfall or we turn the sprinklers on or we apply a lot of fertiliser and the plant starts metabolising a lot faster and growing strongly and as part of that growth, it's pushing more nutrient into the fruit. Now, the tree itself, it doesn't care if the fruit splits because it just wants to produce the, something that's going to attract something to eat the fruit and to take the seed away. It just wants that seed to end up somewhere to be planted to grow. That's what its natural instinct is. Of course, we want the perfect fruit. So the trick is once your citrus have set fruit, don't go increasing water to them. Don't go increasing fertiliser to them. They've set a certain size. If you put those extra things in, there's a chance the fruit will grow bigger and split. Now, the only time that you can't control that is if you had a bit of rain and warmer weather and strong growth. Um, it, it is a natural thing. Hopefully, they don't all split for you and uh, you get a nice crop nevertheless. Hopefully, that helps, Becky. Uh, we're going to Bob in Mount Lawley in, uh, in Perth in Western Australia. He's got a series of linoniums. Um, now, this is a really interesting plant. It, um, it, it's a beautiful blue flowering plant and uh, they've, they've, he said that they're due over the last six months. They've been doing fantastic one day but are dead the next. Replaces them with new plants and suddenly there's obviously some that are just suddenly dying off. Did you do something wrong? Probably not, Bob. It's been quite wet in Perth. This is a plant that doesn't like a disease, a fungal disease called cholera rot in around the soil. When you plant them, they have to be in a really nice free-draining mix. It's really important that you make sure that they're in nice sandy soil. Um, they don't like overly dry conditions. They will grow in, in coastal 
um, environments very, very well. But uh, it's sometimes called the C status, and, and you'll know them as status probably as a general comment. In the, and they're beautiful plants, but that can happen. And generally it's because there's too much water, uh, which we've had in Perth. We've had a lot of unseasonal rain. I think our rainfall here in the month of November will be four times that of the average, and this is the wettest November that we've had. So that could be knocking them off, I think. Drier conditions will help them. Try and keep the water off them. They do prefer it dry. Olia in Dandenong in Victoria. I planted a passion fruit at the beginning of the year. Reach fence height, and now I need to move it. It's lost all its leaves and it isn't growing. Is it gone or can you save it? Passion fruit will transplant, and I've certainly, uh, over the years, I've planted uh, bare-rooted plants and, and planted them and done all sorts of things. They will recover. They will set back. So my advice before about trimming back, trim back to where the wood is green, apply some uh, some sea salt. Some, so just to clarify with sea salt, sea salt is not a fertiliser. It is a plant tonic. It's a soil tonic, and it helps damaged roots recover. And that's pretty much what you're looking for here. So I'd be giving them a good soak with that. And there's really not too many products out there that are quite like that. Irene is in Bundaberg in Queensland. We're having a bit of a run in Bundaberg, which is great. Abundance of mandarins and navel oranges every year. This year, something's attacked the premature fruit by piercing them. It causes a brown spot about an inch wide before the fruit drop off the tree. Now, you didn't see any pests, but you suspect it's a moth. It's a really interesting thing because it's happened when the fruit is young. Uh, that could be something totally different. If it's happened as the fruit's maturing, that could be fruit fly. And it's very difficult for me to guess, but this is where sometimes taking a photograph and sending us a photo through will really help. So, Irene, if you can get go out, get the phone, take a photograph, post it, it'll help me help you. Uh, easiest way to go. Uh, Margaret is in North Queensland. Uh, hello, Margaret. Chilies are rotting from the bottom before they ripen. Help. Can we give them something to, to get them good? And the answer is actually you can. So chilies, capsicums and tomatoes have a very uh, strong need for calcium in their diet. And if they don't get it, they get something called blossom end rot, which is exactly what you're seeing. So basically on one end of the fruit, you'll see a big dead patch. And uh, this is only because it's lacking calcium. This is why a lot of people take vitamins and minerals in their diet. Maybe you take iron, maybe you take magnesium, maybe you take calcium for your bones. Well, plants have that requirement as well. It's very important. So that's why when we talk about fertilizers, we talk about making sure you've got the trace elements, those important things. But chilies, capsicums, tomatoes have a very high need for calcium. So how do you add that in? simplest way is uh, dolomite is great garden lime is something you can use in acidic soils and uh, probably the one other thing is if you're in heavy soils using gypsum all good sources of of uh, calcium the plant will take them up and you will not get that problem you can apply it now as the plants are starting to grow and produce fruit and you should start to see an improvement in that problem. I would pick off the uh, the, the, the fruit that's rotting and, and fix that problem. This program is brought to you by The Garden Gurus and Scott's Performance Naturals. Scott's Performance Naturals is the 100% natural and sustainable way to grow and feed your garden. 
Backed by years of research and developed by scientists, the technology employed enhances natural processes, allowing extra strong growth. The Performance Naturals range contains organic materials such as Naturen, blood and bone, seaweed, biostimulants, manure and feather meal to improve the soil and encourage microbial and earthworm activity. To find out more about the Scots Performance Naturals range, head to lovethegarden.com.au. Elsie is in Melbourne, so we've gone south. I'm not sure how warm it is in Melbourne at the moment, guys, but uh, Elsie's got an avocado tree, but it's died and you want to buy another one. You want to know what kind of soil you need and how. Now, they can be very fickle avocados. The hardest thing is getting your avocado trees established. The best soil is a rich organic soil, and the one trick to, or the two tricks to avocado success are do not put them in a windy, overexposed spot. So um, that's really important. And the second thing is never let the root system dry out. So it has to be a rich organic soil, ideally with a bit of mulch around the outside, but not up against the stem. You do that, Elsie, I promise you, you'll enjoy great success. And avocados love a cooler climate, believe it or not. It's, they're not a tropical like we, we often think. They actually do enjoy a cooler climate. So you'll get great crops in Melbourne. Uh, it's 34 degrees in Melbourne today. There you go. So it really is a hot one all over the country. Christine has, we're not sure where you're from, Christine, but she's got rust on her frangipani. And uh, they, frangipanis can get a rust disease and you need to go and get a fungicide from your local garden centre. There's a couple of them that are available, but talk to your local garden centre horticulturalist and maybe take some leaves in, in a plastic bag with a Ziploc so that you're not spreading the disease around, just so they can check it and make sure it's okay. Uh, you're going to have to get a fungicide to treat it. Uh, well, we're going to stay uh, We're down in Melbourne still with Petra. Some great questions coming through here, by the way. Thank you for participating. We love having you join us on the show. We hope you enjoy it. Um, Petra's, she's got a, uh, she thinks she needs to feed her gardenia with iron due to the yellow veins on the new growth. Which type of iron do I use? So Petra, you're right. Gardenias are what we call gross feeders. They're a bit like citrus. They love a good complex diet. They don't just need those three core um, elements, you know, uh, potash and, and um, uh, potassium, uh, phosphorus and, and nitrogen. They do need a really good blend, particularly iron and magnesium. The two different uh, effects you get in a plant that's short of those is you'll get just a broad sort of a, a yellowing of the leaf, what we call a, a chlorotic leaf. And, um, and that's not really, it's just generally across the whole leaf. That is a shortage of magnesium, and to fix that, you apply Epsom salts. And when you see the dark green veins, this is clever plants, when they're short of iron, uh, they can't make it and they can't draw it out of the sunlight, so they start sharing it amongst leaves. And they'll literally take it from the older leaves and push it up the stem into the new leaves as they develop. What you do to keep all the old leaves, because those old leaves will start to drop off, is to supplement the soil with a good iron source. And you can use iron sulfate in soils that are a little bit on the al alkaline side or iron chelate. Um, and, and somebody had a go at me the other day about chelate. What is chelate? Isn't it chelate? And uh, chelated iron is, is a common term and, and it just gets down to your terminology. I'm not concerned about it, so please don't be upset about it. 
It is spelt C-H-E-L-A-T-E. And any of those um, chelate minerals of any sort, you will find that they are exceptional when it comes to very fast acting. So with a shortage like this, I'd probably go for the iron chelate, which you'll find it in your local garden centre in a little box, um, easy to go. Original post from Irene was um, she's got an abundance of mandarins and oranges every year, uh, but something's attacked them, premature fruit by, by uh, piercing them. Yeah, I'm not quite sure. She didn't see any pests. She suspected, suspected some moth. We do need to see that. Um, we do need to see that photograph, Irene. I hope that helps. Um, she, says, she says it's definitely not fruit fly, which uh, is probably suggesting that um, that it's probably some kind of uh, some kind of beetle. And I would think that you know it could be something like the crusader bug. But again, I'd really love to have a look. At, uh, at a photo of them and try and get my head around what they are. The one thing I would say to you, Irene, is that um, it might be worthwhile going out with a torch at dusk. This could be an insect that's active at night. A lot of them are. And that's when the damage could be getting done. So head out with the torch and take the phone and take a few photos if you can at night and we'll have a look. Wow. We've got through a few questions. We've got some, we had some fantastic stuff today. Um, those beautiful strawberries from Garden Express. Check them out. They are really lovely. You can order them online, have them delivered direct to your home. We uh, had that brilliant, brilliant idea from Love the Garden from Karen Goldie there in South Australia. Um, that's probably one of the best ideas I've seen in a long, long time. And what an inspirational way to bring Christmas cheer to to the household. It's just great. And, uh, of course, it doesn't cost a cent. It's really cost-effective. Pretty much that's all we've got for you today, and I, I hope you've enjoyed the show. Uh, our winners of the Fothergill Seats with the best questions were Laurel in Bundaberg in Queensland, Marshall in Perth, good on your Marsh, um, Becky in Queensland, Irene in Bundaberg, and we do have a lot in Queensland this this week. It's been fantastic. And Margaret from Queensland as well. Do us a favour, uh, private message us your details and we'll send them to you in the mail. Now, the Garden Gurus Spring Series is still running. We are just about at the end of it, though. We're coming towards the end of the series. This week is a fantastic program. It's packed full of lots of inspiration, lots of great down-to-earth garden advice, some slightly crazy antics coming from Nigel Ruck each week, but I know a lot of you love that. And ladies, try and control yourself with Nigel. He's a, he's a pretty tempting man, that man, but uh, he just doesn't handle the pressure and the compliments super well. So, uh, no, keep those comments coming. They're really funny. We really enjoy it. We do like to have fun as we're going along. And uh, whilst we're serious about our gardens, we want to enjoy the time that we spend with you as well. And that's what Nigel does so well. If you have enjoyed today's show, share it with some friends. You can check out our podcast. The live stream will be podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and Podbean. And tell your friends, we'd love you to join us when we do this all again next week. Next Friday, it's 12 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Daylight Time. So don't miss out. I'm Trevor Cochran. Thanks for joining us. Big thanks to Lockie for producing. And, of course, you actually got to see that handsome man, Jimmy, who does all the technical stuff for us in the background. What a team. We look forward to seeing you again soon. Have a great weekend. The Garden Gurus is back on your screens this weekend. Tune in to 9 and 9HD this Saturday at 4.30pm across all states. And if you'd like to catch up on the previous episode, 
tune into Nine Life this Saturday at 5 p.m. When in doubt, make sure you check your local TV guide. Oh, I got my break and I'm ready to go.